Friends, welcome to Teachings from the Table, a place where we're going to be sharing the teachings that are happening as part of the table, a young adult ministry happening at Living Waters Church on the last Sunday of every month, where we'll be sharing a meal, sharing some laughs, and learning and growing together. And this year in particular, we're focusing on the idea of being apprenticed by Jesus, of learning our way of life from him. And we'll be going over some scriptures where Jesus describes some of the foundational attitudes, dispositions, and actions we're all called to. I, I hope you're going to find this enriching, and I, and I believe God's got something good for you. So we're going to start off with a scripture reading for our first teaching on attention. Hi, I'm Emily. Today's scripture reading is out of Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will, be ha- he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What's the most valuable resource in the world right now? If I was to ask you that when I saw you on the street. You might say oil or tech, or maybe you're really smart and you'd say something like water. I would argue that the most valuable resource in the world right now is your attention. Not least of which, because Google and Facebook, two of the largest companies in the world, make hundreds of billions of dollars just a few seconds at a time through advertising. And maybe you could stretch the statement that economically our attention is the most valuable to the point where it would break. But personally, our attention is our most valuable resource. And I think that's part of what Jesus is getting at in that little statement about the eye being the lamp of the body in that passage that was just read for us by Emily so beautifully. You see, what we fix our eyes on, it's like shining our flashlight on it. It, it moves us in that direction. We move towards whatever we're aiming at. Uh, one of the other ways I would put it is that our attention shapes our affection and arguably... Our affection is the most important thing in shaping the way that we act. And nowhere, nowhere have I learned this more poignantly than in my relationship with a company that is known for making stretchy black pants. See, I swore to myself that I would never purchase an item of clothing from this place, ever. I would not purchase this overpriced butt-hugging loungewear. And... Here's the thing. I'm married. And as much as I had hoped and dreamed about one day being able to join those glorious dudes who stand outside the store as their wife shops in it, that I'd be able to cross my arms and communicate with them only using grunts, my wife informed me very early on that in our marriage, decision-making would always be a team sport. So... I ended up spending a few hours a year inside this store. And everybody there, they're just so nice and pretty. 
And eventually some of my t-shirts got kind of ratty. And one of the days I was in the store, they happened to have a shirt in my size and it was on sale, which made it almost affordable. And then as I was looking at it, but without me even knowing it, my hand all of a sudden reached out and I touched the shirt. I swear by the end, I was rubbing this beautiful soft shirt on my face when one of these pretty people came up and said to me, you know, you can try it on. And now pretty much every time I need to replace an item of clothing that's broken down, I replace it from the store. This is how attention shapes our affection. You see, we would like to believe that there's some true inner self that makes all of our decisions based on what we think we decide that we value, that there's a buffer between us and the outside world to riff on Charles Taylor. But we're more like sponges. The more we're exposed to something, the more we soak it up. And here's the thing about these companies. They don't just want to sell you a product because they know if they sell you a product, they might just sell it once. No, they want to form an identity in you. They want to make you the type of person who will buy their product. Because then you'll buy it again and again and again. So what they show you, according to writer Alan Noble, is visions of a full life. Attention shapes affection. And when Jesus talks about this, when he says that the eye is the lamp of the body, I don't think he's just being metaphorical or figurative. James Clear, an author who talks about habits, has done some study in neuroscience, and he's heard from people that of all the sensors in our body that take in information from our five senses, sight uses more of the sensors than all of the other senses combined. Sight dominates our brain's processing power. Vision is the most powerful shaper of how we think and live and move in the world. And more importantly, as Jesus warns, what we look at in the long run will determine whether we are healthy or sick spiritually. Now, I wanted to talk about our attention early on in our gatherings at the table because in my personal journey of becoming an apprentice of Jesus, of learning to live in the way of my master, the thing that I have found that has been the most significant has not been learning the prayers of ancient people or biblical Greek or finding the right commentary series, though those things have all helped. I would say the most significant thing that has been shaping my spiritual journey in the past couple years is learning to free myself from the enslaving glare of the little black mirror that I carry around in my pocket. Learning to deal with the smartphone. Because here's the thing, if attention is a commodity, the 21st century is essentially the purge. There are people out there waiting to steal our attention in every corner. And nothing steals our attention quite as effectively as the smartphone. So I know you've probably heard some of these things before, but let me just share kind of three brief observations. I call them the three F's of modern tech because F felt like phonetically the appropriate syllable to use for this. The first F is that um, modern tech fragments our attention. 
So you've probably heard people talk about dopamine and these other chemicals in our brain that are kind of just like naturally occurring opioids. So what happens is our brains are wired for novelty. We actually, our brains give themselves a little bit of a kick every time we experience something that's unique or novel. And here's the thing. On the internet, in the device that we carry in our pocket, in 15 minutes we could experience more novelty than people 200 years ago would have experienced in their lifetimes. There's, um, there's this woman named Natalia Dow who studies slot machines in Las Vegas and makes some interesting comparisons between them and modern technology. And one of the things she found as she started her studies is that some of the people who use slot machines frequently would make an important stop on their way to the casino. They would stop at a grocery store and they would buy a package of adult diapers. Because on these machines, they would get so in the zone, they did not want to stop for anything. And there's a combination of factors that, that make our brains kind of fall into what she calls a ludic loop. You need to be able to do the thing alone. It needs to give you incredibly fast feedback. The rewards from the thing need to be random. You never know when the next kick is going to come at you. And you need to be able to do the thing in continuity, without stopping, and there's no resolution, there's no storyline, no ending. And all of these features are design features of social media on our phones. These are things that our phones are designed to do to steal our attention. What's the effect? Well, our attention is fragmented. It's split in a bunch of different places because we're always looking for that novelty kick. But even more importantly, we actually just lose the ability to pay extended attention to anything. The second F is we're fatigued. So because we're always looking for this next kind of kick, this next mental kick, is um, it leads to us consistently doing multiple things at once. We put TV on in the background as we do homework or a podcast on as we cook because our, our brains are losing the ability to kind of focus on one thing. But the problem is, is that multitasking is a myth. We don't actually multitask. I've heard numerous people say this everywhere from neuroscientists to kind of like popular self-help gurus. Multitasking is not a real thing. What's actually happening is our brain is switching between tasks really quickly. And there's a man named Daniel Levitin who's written a book called The Organized Mind. And he says one of the problems with just our neurobiology is that switching between tasks is extremely costly from an energy perspective. That's actually one of the most costly things that our brain does is switching between modes of thinking. So when we switch between 10,000 things all the time, we're completely exhausting ourselves from just a physiological perspective. But more than being fatigued physiologically, there's an emotional fatigue, I think, as well. Now, one of the best kind of commentators on internet culture and what technology is doing to us is actually comedian Bo Burnham. He's got a song recently that he put out about the internet on his last special. And here's just kind of this breakneck bridge that he does about the internet. CNN beheaded, 
get offended, see a shrink, show us pictures of your children, tell us every thought you think, start a rumor, buy a broom, or send a death threat to a boomer, or DM a girl and groom her, do a zoom, or find a tumor. In your which power ranger are you? Take this quirky quiz. Obama sent the immigrants to vaccinate your kids. Could I interest you in everything, all of the time, anything and everything, all of the time? Apathy's a tragedy and boredom is a crime. Anything and everything, all of the time. Each of those little sentences he breaks up, which could literally be a 20-minute surfing session on the internet, each of those creates a really distinct emotional response in us and forces us into a position where we have to make a decision to do with those, those something, with those feelings that we're feeling. And it's exhausting. Like, where else in your natural environment would you ever experience that much emotional stimulus, let alone just stimulus? So it's no wonder we're all so tired we can't even make significant decisions without breaking down. Finally, the third F, after being fragmented and fatigued, is that it's all free. Now, I mean this in some sense economically, because we don't pay enough for these services, right? It means that somebody else is paying for them, which... Pastor John Mark Comer and Tristan, Tristan Harris, who's the CEO of the Center for Humane Technology, will tell you, anytime you don't pay enough for a thing, it means that you're not actually the consumer, you're the product, right? But that's not necessarily what I mean when I say free. I mean free as in without restriction. There is nothing to stop an 11-year-old kid who is on the internet from finding pornography, even with a lot of the blockers and things that we use, it, it's, it's just so readily accessible to all of us all of the time. And all of these things, as I've said before, these are design features. These are choices that have been made when the products were put together intentionally. Now, before Jesus talks about the eye being the lamp of the body, he talks about not putting our treasures on, not storing up our treasures on earth. And then he tells us to store up our treasures in heaven. The thing that's interesting is, is what he uses to differentiate the earthly things and the heavenly things. So there's the security, thieves can't break in and steal. But there's also duration. Moth and rust destroy the earthly things, but the heavenly things do not get destroyed by moth and rust. So there's some sort of a connection, I think, being made between the things that last and have enduring meaning and the things that are kind of quick fixes. In some ways, I, I see it kind of warning us about ever engaging in behaviors that are instantly gratifying or just being careful around behaviors that are instantly gratifying. But once he puts that statement and the statement about the eye being the lamp of the body together, it's no surprise that quickly after he has the little bit about not being able to serve two masters. Because as author David Foster Wallace once said, here's the thing, everybody worships. We are beings who give ourselves over to things. As much as we would like to pretend and think we are in control, we are submitting beings. We worship. So, into all that, into a world where our attention shapes our affection so drastically, and in a time when our attention is just, quite frankly, being stolen from us by any means possible, where is God in all this? You know, one of the things that you'll find unique about the tradition 
that we have been given is that early in the tradition, nobody was allowed to make an image of God. Which is interesting thinking how important visual cues are. We weren't allowed to draw pictures of God. He doesn't do selfies, right? And even then, once God does image himself in Jesus, one of the crazy things is that Jesus, well, pretty much every time he does something really cool, like healing somebody or when he like goes glow in the dark on the Mount of Transfiguration, he always hides it. He tells people to be quiet about it. As my friend Luke Knight said when we were talking about this, Jesus doesn't show up shooting lightning bolts out of his face. And most of us think, well, gee, if I was God, I would. I would shoot lightning bolts out of my face. I would do anything to get anybody's, everybody's attention. You know, the only way I've come to understand why God chooses to act this way, why he conceals some of these things, well, it's, it's really love. Because if you truly love someone, like really love them, and you've come from a healthy situation, and you know what it's like to be loved healthily, every time you interact, all the cards are kind of on the table. You don't hide stuff. Here's my past. Here's what's happened to me. Here's what I expect of you. Here's what you can expect of me. This is, this is it. This is all I am. Take it or leave it. Choose. And here's the thing with God. God's cards are always on the table. What does Jesus say for those who want to follow him? Consider the cost. You want to walk in my footsteps? You'll be carrying a cross. He literally discourages some people from following him at some points because they're not willing to leave the dead to bury the dead or to not say goodbye to their family. And that's actually a great act of love. Let me put it this way. God wants our hearts, but he will not take them. God needs our attention to shape us into what he has for us to become, but he will not steal it from us. As it's said many times throughout Israel's scriptures, I put before you two paths today. Choose. What will you worship? Now, in all of this, there is some good news, too. I don't think Jesus' words in Matthew 6 are just a warning. They're actually a bit of a comfort, too. Because this shaping that happens through our attention, the way attention shapes our affection, it works both ways doesn't work just for the bad. Actually, you'll notice that almost all of the metaphors in Scripture for our spiritual growth are organic. The righteous person is like a tree. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The kingdom of heaven is like a seed. I think part of the reason for that is that a tree does not will itself to grow. A tree is in the appropriate conditions to get the nutrients and the sunlight that it needs, and growing is a, is a natural result. And here's the thing with Jesus. Jesus is a multiplier. He's a grower. You give him a little and he will make it a lot. He will take, he will break, and he will bless anything that we can give him. And he will make it more than we could have imagined. And if we choose to give him just that little bit with time, I do not doubt that he will teach us all 
the lessons that he taught the plants at the beginning of creation to bend toward the light. So the question for all of us is, what is worthy of my attention? What is worthy of the most valuable resource that I have to give? A reading from Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I hope this teaching has been helpful for you and look forward to in the next couple weeks, particularly with this teaching, we're going to be sharing just some short kind of five minute practical ideas about how we can apply this idea of trying to give our attention to God. But now um, go with this blessing. May you know that you have always had God's attention, that before the sky was an idea you were in the heart of God and that you could give him every millisecond of the rest of your life and not pay back a fraction of the care, love, and devotion he has given you. Go in the peace of knowing that you are more known than you could possibly imagine.